God's Longing for His Church by Ron Cluzet Ron E. M. Cluzet Demin is Ministerial Secretary for the Northern Asia-Pacific Division, Gyeonggi-do, Republic of Korea. I never tire of telling the story of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Mamansk, Russia, high above the Arctic Circle. The church was only 22 members strong, but due to attrition, it whittled down to eight, the pastor, his wife, and six men. They knew they were going to be extinct unless something radical took place. The men decided to get together and pray. They knew that the Holy Spirit comes only in answer to fervent prayer. So they prayed for the Holy Spirit, for willingness to sacrifice for others, for opportunities to share the love of Christ with those in darkness. They gathered every morning at six o'clock. The men knelt around an ice fishing hole, put their arms around each other and prayed earnestly for the fire of the Spirit to melt their hearts. Then they stripped to their shorts and submerged in the freezing waters as a testament of their willingness to baptise anyone who was ready now, without waiting for spring. People might consider this behaviour eccentric, if not fanatical, yet they believed. And they kept on praying. Within a year, the Holy Spirit had led 72 additional people to their fold. The church experienced a 1,000% growth rate, and in the succeeding years, they planted churches all over their neighbouring communities. The Promise of the Spirit Ever since sin defaced the image of God in Eden, it has been God's earnest desire to fill his children with his Spirit so that they can again reflect their Maker. In the Old Testament, God's Spirit is mentioned about 88 times. The Spirit filled individuals for specific tasks, such as in the cases of Bezalel, Samson or Saul. More often, the fullness of the Spirit was associated with the prophetic ministry, such as in the cases of Azariah, Micah, Daniel or Ezekiel. But God longed to see the day when his people would all be filled with the Spirit. Instead of trying to obey God by their own will, his people would obey because a new heart and a new spirit, his own, would be within them. Instead of only a few being full of the Spirit, everyone would be filled with the Spirit. The Promise of the Comforter This was also the burden of Jesus from the start, yet only John the Baptist understood this at first. Such emphasis is unequalled and unprecedented in the Bible. As for me, I baptise you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 NASB The Master told his disciples, It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. And how would they obtain this life? He answered, The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. John chapter 6 verse 63 NKJV From the very beginning the key has been to listen to the words of God to ponder on their meaning, to pray over them. As faith becomes more real, so does the work and presence of God's Spirit. I will pray the Father, Jesus said, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. John, chapter 14, verses 16 to 18, NKJV. 
Who is this helper? The original Greek word used here is parakletos, meaning one who comes alongside. It is variously translated as comforter, counsellor, sponsor, or advocate. The word has legal connotations, as in someone speaking on behalf of another. Jesus personified the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This spirit is not an ethereal influence or an esoteric theological concept. He is God's other, to be by our side for all our needs. Jesus said he would be another helper, one like him. On the one hand, Jesus as fully human intercedes for us in heaven, and on the other, the Holy Spirit, the Parakletos, as fully divine intercedes for us on earth. The Premise of the Cross It was not until the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost that they fully realised his words, but there was a problem. Actually, too. The fullness of the Spirit of God upon the New Testament church could not come until the victory of the cross could be realised, until the sacrifice of Christ on the cross could be processed and understood. The Apostle John wrote that the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. John chapter 7 verses 37 to 39 NKJV The Holy Spirit not yet given Clearly the Old Testament has a number of references about the giving of the Holy Spirit to different individuals, but there is a sense in which the Spirit was not fully given to the Church, and that had to do with the cross. To understand the cross and to be one in community are the two necessary premises for the reception of the fullness of the Spirit in Church. John linked the giving of the Spirit to the glorification of Jesus. When was Jesus glorified? Peter tells us when. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. But you killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Acts 3, verses 13-15, NKJV The glorification of Jesus took place as a result of his sacrifice on the cross. On the day of Pentecost, Fifty days after Passover, the day when Christ died, Christ was glorified by the Father in heaven. In ancient times, when kings returned from wars victorious, they entered their city marching in a procession. The king first on a white steed, then his generals, followed by his soldiers, and finally a string of enemy captives followed in tow. The people gave gifts to the conquerors, praising them for their victory. This was a day of great rejoicing. Something similar happened in heaven ten days after Christ's ascension. Ephesians 4 alludes to this. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Verses 7 and 8. Paul here quotes from Psalm 68 verse 18 alluding to Moses ascending Mount Sinai to receive God's great gift of his law. The rabbis called Pentecost the season of the giving of our law, or feast of the revelation. For this marked the earliest national convocation held after the Exodus at which Jehovah presented the Decalogue to Israel on Mount Sinai. But how could Paul take the liberty to change Psalm 68 verse 18 to say he gave gifts? See verse 11 instead of received gifts. Because he applies this to Christ, 
Christ as conqueror over death received his gifts in the lives of people raised from death. Matthew tells us many resurrected at Christ's resurrection. Matthew chapter 27 verse 52 and 53, constituting the first fruits of Jesus' victory over sin and death. These were the captives Jesus took to heaven with him. These, as well as the heavenly hosts, glorified the Lord Jesus in heaven on the day of Pentecost. But instead of just receiving gifts, Jesus gave them as well. We call them the gifts of the Spirit. The Premise of Community But there is a second premise that needed to be met before the fullness of the Spirit could be realised. When you think about the ten days between Christ's ascension and his glorification, you can imagine those 120 disciples huddled in the upper room going over the events of the last few days. Little had they understood Jesus' numerous references to the cross, but the more they prayed and thought about it, the more they got it. They saw the immensity of God's sacrifice and law for human beings, and all that was left for them to do was simply surrender all. This is what brought an otherwise unruly group of people into one accord. Acts 1 verse 14 After all, it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 NKJV This focus on the cross is what made them one. To understand the cross and to be one in community are the two necessary premises for the reception of the fullness of the Spirit in the church. That's what happened in Acts 1, which paved the way for the power of the Spirit seen in Acts 2 and beyond. The Purpose of the Church What about the church today? Are we focused on the cross and willing to love one another? Do we have personal communion with the God who gave all for us and have corporate communion with one another? The early church loved each other in tangible, practical and transformative ways. Acts 4 verses 32 to 35. We can anticipate a demonstration of Christ's love toward one another today that reflects what happened then. The early believers preached the word of God with great power, despite their lack of formal education and social pedigree, with signs and wonders accompanying their ministry. And why should we not expect the same today? Jesus himself gave his church the infallible formula. Wait together for the promise of the Father, and you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. The Holy Spirit at work. This is the longing of God for his church. Will you allow him to accomplish it? For bibliographical references on this article and for much more content for pastors and church leaders, please visit ministrymagazine.org.